eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season one, episode 44, and then there were two. It's Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score, your radio home for Cubs baseball. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy Crowley on this fine Monday afternoon. Crowley, how are you? I'm better than those Yankee fans who are chanting, we want Houston. Um <laughs> You can find me on uh, Twitter at Crawley's Cubs. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at FlyTheW670. You can find us on Facebook at FlyTheW. And you can email us with your thoughts or suggestions at FlyTheW670 at gmail.com. Well, Crawley, as the uh, title says, and then there were two, we have a NL representative and we have an AL representative in the Fall Classic, both of those wrapped up on Sunday. Why don't we start with the NLCS and game number one, you Darvish, Zach Wheeler. Yeah, you know, it was, it was, you know, this was really, to me, the most exciting of the two series. You had gr- two great pitchers starting the game and you Darvish and Zach Wheeler. Uh, both pitchers went seven innings, but Wheeler did not give up a run and you uh, Darvish gave up two long balls, one to Bryce Harper and then a mammoth blast by Kyle Schwarber that traveled 488 feet and had an exit velocity of 120 miles per hour. And Mr. Schwarber was just getting started. He just seems to just kind of kick it up a notch when it get, comes to uh, October. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's built for this kind of thing. Right before we started, I was perusing Twitter, as I often do, whether we're doing a podcast or not, but it always seems like I'm on Twitter and uh, there was a tweet that Kyle Schwarber on this date several years ago now, back in 2016, Kyle Schwarber was boarding a private jet heading to Cleveland to DH in Game 1 of the World Series. So funny to think about that. But And I remember the videos <laughs> of when he got the news. He was in Arizona, and they 
you know, he wasn't sure that he was going to do it. But yeah, it's the legend of Kyle Schwarber go, uh, just continues to grow, you know, and especially when you're talking about postseason Schwarber, the guys just, like, like I said, some guys are just built for this and they can kind of just click it to a whole different level. And that's exactly what he did here, you know, and, and that home run. You love to see it when, when like, the uh, guys in the dugout, when their, like, jaws drop. You know what I mean? Like, they know right. what it takes to hit that. The one that Schwarber hit was, like, second decker. Right. It was the farthest. It was I think they said the farthest or the second farthest ever hit at that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – I sit there and I just love what the guy does. And, and those two home runs were all that Philly needed as they took a uh, 2 nothing lead – and, uh, you know, good start for Philly. They're out rolling. You get into game two, and you got another good matchup, Blake Snell versus Aaron Nola. Philly jumps all over Snell, scoring four runs in the second inning, but he's able to stick around, limit the damage to the four runs, and he pitched five innings. San Diego comes roaring back. They score two in the second and five in the fifth to knock Nola out of the game. Josh Bell, three for four with a homer and two RBIs. Manny Machado, went three for five with a homer double and an RBI. And Brandon Jury went two for four with a home run and three RBI. So it looked like Philly had San Diego exactly where they want them. And San Diego, San Diego came roaring back. And yeah. so that was one where I was kind of looking at it and I'm like, okay, you know, you, you finally kind of put the stop on, uh, on, on the Phillies. You know, they, they jumped on you in game one. They jumped out early game two. I mean, imagine if San Diego would have been down two nothing after you know hosting the first two games but they were able to salvage a split and now i'm thinking to myself okay san diego's ready to play and and and, and they're about to kind of do some nasty things to the philadelphia and of course because i picked the dodgers or the uh, padres to win of course the phillies decide to come crushing when they head back into <laughs> philadelphia they got the big sticks out dustin put the malecki on them huh crawley uh, seriously, I mean, they beat what I, I had them. I had the Cardinals beating them, then I had the Braves beating them, then I had the Padres beating them. And every time, I, they're just hot, man. Sometimes that just happens, you know. Yeah, game number three back in Philadelphia. Uh, Suarez Musgrove, the pitchy matchup in that one, and Schwarber was being Schwarber again. Yeah, leadoff home run. And the funny thing is that all of Schwarber's home runs. They're not like the, you know, if you're at Wrigley, like a basket home run. You know what I mean? All yeah. of these monsters, they were monster shots, like 400 feet, you know? And so it, it just, you know, especially a leadoff home run, like that's going to totally just energize a crowd that didn't need any more energy, you know? Uh, just a total jolt. And so San Diego's able to tie it up. Uh, but with runners in second and third and two outs, Gene Segura hit a single to drive in two runs. Uh, so Philly's going to lead it three to one. I think what did they say? He was he was the first player in postseason history to have an RBI uh, error and picked off of a base in one inning. In, <laughs> that's just, some stat. That's some stat line. He'll tell his grandkids about that someday. I bet. But the uh, Phillies ended up leading three to one. A Reese Hoskins error in the fifth made it three to two. But the Phillies bullpen was able to hold it down. Sir Anthony Dominguez recorded the first six out save since. Tug McGraw did it in 1980. For all you youngsters out there that like country music, that's Tim McGraw's dad. Yeah, Tug McGraw, blast from the past on that one. So the uh, Phillies are now up two to one in that series. Game four, still out in Philadelphia, 
And uh, this one was a uh, this one was a barn burner. I was not able to be with that game live. I was checking my phone, and I thought, "Holy smokes, are you kidding me? Get me in front of a TV immediately!" It was unreal. You had Bailey Falter versus Mike Clevenger. So the Padres score in the uh, four in the first inning, and the Phillies score three. Both starters are pulled in the first inning. Second time in postseason history that both starters failed to make it out of the first. Last time it happened in game four of the 1932 World Series with the Yankees' Johnny Allen and the Cubs' Guy Bush. If you remember the 1932 series, that was game five was the one, I believe, that uh, Babe Ruth called the shot against Charlie Root. No, I do not remember that. What was that? 80, 80 years ago now, Crowley. I do not. I do not recall that one. I've not, not, uh, not the guy, guy, guy Bush does not uh, ring a bell with me. But uh, yeah, un- unbelievable game. Phillies end up hitting four home runs in this game. I mean, they have the power on full tilt. Yeah, Reese Hoskins had two. Schwarber had one. Real Muto with one. And so, you know, Bryce Harper was two for four with a double and two RBIs, and the Phillies take this one 10 to six. Now, that name Mike Clevenger, a lot of of people want him to, the Cubs to potentially make a trade and pick that guy up. I don't know about you, Dustin. Every time I see that guy pitch, he gives me, like, anxiety. Like, he's on the mound, and he's twitching, and he's... He's he's shimmying and I don't know what he's doing. I'm like, dude, yeah, he's calm got some down. weird. He's got some weird <laughs> pre-pitch antics, if you will. Yeah, it, it, very, very, very strange. Very strange. Right, but but if you're kind of taking a look at all of this here, I mean, it, it's you know that that's what Schwarber with a home run in each of the first what three games. That's right. So I mean, Schwarber is either home run or nothing for him. To be fair, right? Right. It's either home run or nothing. But in these big moments in playoff games. I mean, the long ball is huge. In, in the, uh, let's go this way. In the three wins that they had, he homered. In the one loss they had versus uh, Blake Snell, he didn't homer. He did So yep. out of all the wins, he had a home run. So what does that tell you, right? Yep, that's. And now we move into a game five Sunday afternoon. You Darvish back on the mound for the Phillies and it's uh, or for the Padres rather going against Zach Wheeler, the game one matchup all over again. And it's do or die time for the Padres. Yeah. Reese Hoskins hits a two run homer in the third and the Phillies are up two nothing. The place is just rocking Juan Soto homer to make it a two to one game, but a Josh Bell double tied it up a wild pitch by Sir Anthony Dominguez gave San Diego a three two lead. And this is the one that everyone's going to be talking about for a while, Dustin. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Roberto Suarez has already pitched one inning. He's pitched the seventh. He's up on. He's on the eighth, and you have Josh Hader in the bullpen, the guy that you traded for for this exact moment. JT Real Muto leads off with a single, and then Bryce Harper is at the plate and a home run. Gives the Phillies a 4-2-3 lead. Bryce Harper, what can you say about him? He's your NLCS MVP. He hit 419, five home runs, and 11 RBIs. But when you, boy, you sit there and you're, you know, sometimes we'll talk about Dusty in a second, you know, know, later. But how you can sit there and lose the season. I mean, that's where, that's what Josh Hader's for. Right. The, 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 that is when you have you are trying to move this back to San Diego, 
You're Sports in... talk radio in San Diego had to be really spicy. I mean, you're talking about your six outs away, and you have a stud reliever. The guy, like I said, the guy has been he's, – he struggled for San Diego coming out. They find, found something, tweaked it up, found a couple more mile right. per hour. and Made and, some and, corrections, yeah. Mm-hmm. And all – I'm just sitting there stunned. Like, I'm not – again, we're not privy to everything, but if Josh Hader's absolutely healthy, if he's 85% healthy, he needs to be out there on that. You can't – you can't sit there and let Bryce Harper again. He finishes at 419. You're telling me you're not going to get the best guy you have to get through the toughest part of that lineup? Right. I mean, he's been good against Harper's been good against everybody. But yes, I mean that's why you traded him. That's why you're there. I mean, it's. Can you imagine having the conversation with your boss exactly again why you didn't do that? Unless again, and we're not privy to it. Maybe we'll find out in a few days because this topic's not going anywhere, Crowley. That there was something up. Right. There was there was an injury that we don't know about. There was a usage issue. He, he wasn't feeling it. You know, I, I have no idea. You know, he had too many cheesesteaks the night before. I don't know. But in the surface does not make any sense at all. You know, I, I remember all the crap that Joe Madden, Joe Madden got with Araldus Chapman. But that's that's it, man. When you're that far and you're that close, you 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 go with the best. Okay, Absolutely. and and if you you know you have to argue that Hater would be, if you're talking about top five closers in the game, Hater's in the conversation. Absolutely, no doubt that he's one of the top five closers of the game. And he sat there in the bullpen, warming up, watching. Can I ask you about Juan Soto? Just and I don't have a composite box on this, and maybe it's something that you're better at than me that you can find this quickly. But Juan Soto seems to be like a another one of these like all or nothing guys. And he seemed, every time I looked, he was making a mistake out in right field. I mean, diving for balls, losing balls in the sun. Um, I think he had a base running error or two. Just does not seem like the brightest ball player out there. You know, it's, I, I, I don't know. This is the thing you worry about with guys I wasn't like impressed. That. Let's put it this way. You gave up a ton. You got to pay this guy a ton. I have to give the Padres credit for going for it. But right. he just did not knock my socks off. Um, you know, it wasn't the greatest postseason for him. Um, I would say that, you know, it's, boy, everything, every time when you sit there, whether he accepted the contract for $500 million or he didn't accept it, either way that you're looking at it, I think that that puts a so much pressure and such a spotlight on you. And here you are in the postseason we did not see the best of what Juan Soto has to offer. Juan Soto is, is a great player. Now, um, what happens next with him, I have no clue. Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, sometimes for some reason, guys struggle at a postseason. I've, we've seen it in Chicago. I, I remember, you know, when you watched in 2018 and, you know, Rizzo or Bryant or those guys just couldn't do anything. I mean, sometimes you just – that's the thing. You have a small sample size that you're working with, Right. And, and all of a sudden, sometimes it's when who's hot and who's not. And all of a sudden, you saw literally Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber go off. Schwarber didn't do anything in the NLDS, right? No. So no. it's kind of been weird. In the, in the wild card, he did really well. In the NLDS, he didn't do anything. And then the NLCS, he looked really good. It, it's a small sample size, and things happen. And, and that's, that's kind of the, the tricky thing about the postseason in baseball is, is that – over 162, you're going to go into slumps and you're going to break out of slumps. And the better players can do it in a quicker amount of time. 
when you're talking about postseason with everything amplified and all the lights on you with, you know, shining brightest, and they're definitely shining on Juan Soto, wasn't the greatest postseason, but I don't think that in the future that doesn't mean you're not going to see Juan Soto one day maybe be an MVP. I mean, how much talk was there about Bryce Harper, you know, never able to do it with the Nationals. And there's a lot of people talking crap about Bryce Harper, you know, and then the the year he leaves, the Nationals win the World Series. And that's what everybody was talking about. It was Bryce Harper this, Bryce Harper that. Right. Right. And now all of a sudden, now Bryce Harper is everybody's darling. Well, again, this is baseball and you have to sit there sometimes and you're going to have good series. You're going to have bad series. Some, maybe you might be injured sometimes. Uh, I think Schwarber in the DS, he slid and something was funky with his knee was bothering him a little bit, got a couple days rest and he was feeling better for the CS. I don't know. I can't tell you one thing or another. I would just, I would not bet against Juan Soto. I think there's just way too much talent there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season one, episode 44. We're calling this one, and then there were two. We just went over how the Phillies punched their ticket to the Fall Classic, winning the National League pennant four games to one over the Padres. And now we are talking to Lucella, the creator of all the sculptures around Wrigley Field, including Fergie Jenkins, which was just unveiled this last season. Joining me now on Fly the W, we have sculptor Lou Sella. You know his work from all over any Chicago stadium and from many more places beyond that. Um, but he was his latest work was featured this year at Wrigley Field with statue Rowan Gallagher way with the Fergie Jenkins statue. Lou, how are you today? Real good. Glad to be here. Now, Lou, I, I got to ask you, I mean, it is, you are synonymous with statues here in Chicago and other places as well, but you know, you grew up in the Chicagoland uh, area. Were you always interested in Chicago sports teams growing up? Oh, sure. I remember, uh, you know, well, the first I remember of the, of any of them was I was about uh, five, six years old and, uh, people around town were wearing t-shirts that said cub power on them. And I was really impressed with that and started pleading with dad to get me one. And, uh, well, eventually he did. He, uh, (laughs) he got me that, he got me my first Cubs hat and, uh, every day he'd come home from uh, work and I'd ask how the Cubs did that day. And for most of the summer, he told me they won. And then I, I, 
I can still remember. All of a sudden, he was coming home telling me they were losing. They were losing. <laughs> and then, well, you know the rest of that 1969 story. But that's how far back that goes. Yeah, my dad still holds a, a special bitterness in his heart for those Mets. Um, so uh, how did you get involved in art and sculpting? Um, was it something you were always interested in or something that came about through uh, maybe your family or was there a mentor? Oh, that was definitely in the DNA. Uh, my mother in particular, a uh, very artistic woman, a Renaissance woman, I would call her. Uh, she, uh, she had all the talents and, uh, nurtured them in all of us whenever she saw any opportunity, uh, to do so. So, uh, I had a passion for comics when, uh, growing up too. And that was really what I kind of saw myself doing for a while. And then got more into the graphic design as a career when I uh, graduated from, uh, Illinois State University. But uh, along the way, I had sculpting courses in high school and college. And uh, what I eventually did was I, I was just doing it as a hobby and uh, with little figurines and eventually um, uh, decided I'd like to work larger. And I was looking for somewhere to, uh, to learn more. And uh, a friend of mine approached me with an advertisement with a photograph of the recently unveiled sculpture of Michael Jordan. And he said to me that he was thinking about taking a class with uh, these people. And I had just seen that sculpture after it was unveiled and loved it. And when I studied it, I thought, well, shoot, if I were gonna do one of these big ones, everything these people did is exactly what I would do. And uh, I went to the studio and I met uh, Omri Imrani and uh, of the Rockland Amrani Fine Art Studio and uh, started taking classes. That was in 1995. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, the Harry Carey became a possibility. By then, he knew what a baseball nut I was. And um, uh, he got quite the baseball education from me, being an Israeli immigrant. He certainly didn't know a lot about it. But uh, uh, we worked together on Harry Carey, and that was a very generous thing for him to do. So that was after Harry passed in 1999. Did Harry ever know about the statue or was that commissioned after he passed? Oh, no, no. The idea of it didn't come up until uh, uh, after he passed. Uh, our, one of our representatives contacted John McDonough with the Cubs and, uh, and suggested the possibility. I don't recall for sure if John was thinking of doing one or if we, I, I, I always thought we put the, the seed in his, uh, in his mind. But uh, however it happened, um, we started having meetings and eventually uh, um, the, uh, if you remember Andy McPhail, the former mm -hmm. uh, team president got involved and uh, we, uh, we, we signed a contract did uh, design work. And during the, if it was, it was a really fun experience at the time because uh, we were working on this, the, the deal got sealed in August of uh, 1998 and the Sosa McGuire home run race was at a fever pitch at that point. And we were locked up in this, it was, it wasn't the studio we're in now, it was more like a garage <laughs> and uh, working on this and, um, and listening to Pat Hughes and Ron Santo calling these games uh, every night on the radio, uh, you know, talking about, you know, doing the play-by-plays of Sosa uh, going for the home run crown. 
and the Cubs eventually making the playoffs. So it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was a real magical summer. Now, you know, with the Harry statue, uh, that was the only one I didn't go to as far as the unveiling. I was in college at the time. Um, but mm-hmm. I love the title of it and a one and a two and a three. It's, it's, <laughs> You know, and and you just see Harry over the bleacher, you know, just the way he was, you know, used to swing the microphone and it just became so iconic at Wrigley Field. Originally was at Addison Sheffield and they moved it by the bleacher uh, at at, at, uh, Waveland and Sheffield now, but always there. And I've been going for so many years and there's not a time I go to Wrigley Field where I don't see somebody taking a picture with Harry. Now it's a great tribute. I mean, it's really keeping his memory alive at Wrigley field question for you here. How do you choose what pose to use for the athletes? With Harry, we did uh, three or four different drawings and um, Omri had always has a, uh, uh, what he calls a sculpting montage. He likes to work multiple elements into his work and he had done a number of things that uh, had that had that idea. He did one design that was strictly Harry just standing and uh, and singing. He had he had him drawn in a in like a '70s style suit with these plaid pants and things <laughs> like that. <laughs> Harry was not was not a real uh, real designer when it came to his fashion. And John McDonough certainly got a big kick out of it, but he he kind of felt that that was more representative of his years with the socks. But, um, uh, but, but they chose from those drawings. We do it a little differently now. We'll, we'll take photographic images and rework them in Photoshop uh, to give a more realistic uh, illustration when we're in, and place them with what we would think might be the site where it's going to go around the ballpark or in the ballpark, whatever they, they might choose. So they have an opportunity to look at a number of different things. Now, sometimes it's, it's, uh, they just say, here, this is it. This is what we want. And we just take it and go. And there is no design work. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about the Cubs specifically, but, you know, different different clients. Now, I know for a fact that that uh, the Ernie Banks statue meant so much to me. Uh, and there's a little backstory. But basically, uh, just long story short, I snuck into the ceremony. I'm in the VIP section. Lou, you're a VIP, so you were there, you know. But I, I remember, you know, it was 2008, and it was kind of a rainy, drizzly kind of day. And I remember Hank Aaron being there, and, and obviously Ronnie mm-hmm. and, and Fergie and all that stuff. But I think the thing that stuck to me most is when, you know, Ernie's got this statue hovering above him, and his voice, he was, he was a little bit sick that day, and, you know, his voice was a little gravelly, and he talked about, long after I'm not here, I'll still be here. And that's still sends chills up my spines. You said, this is a quote from you about the Ernie Banks statue. I believe it's the hyper real sculpture has one of the strongest connections to the public more than anything else I've ever worked on. There was an immense number of people who approached me with a deep emotional, emotional connection with Ernie. Um, do you feel like that statue is one that stands out for you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the, I, I, I stand by that statement a hundred percent. That, that was that was very unique. They, they all have their interesting connections to the people uh, that, that they are presented to, that they're done for. That one, I, I, part of it was I, I just wasn't ready for that much of a personal 
connection to it. He, he just seemed to be one of those people that had a positive influence everywhere he went. Uh, I really couldn't find anybody who, not that I was looking, but there's always something bad to say about somebody. There's always, you know, the guy could have one bad day and that information would get to a reporter and you'd hear about it. Uh, not with Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks was absolutely uh, positive across the board. And, these, and it was just all these stories of, of when I was a kid. You know, dad took me and, and Ernie signed this, or we went to a shopping center and Ernie was there and he spent some time talking to me and my, you know, things like that just over and over. And more and more people I knew were asking if they could come and take a look at it in progress. And as long as they were, you know, cool about not taking pictures or anything, uh, you know, I, I'd let them. And when we got to the end of the process with the final details going into the clay, I, w I was inviting some of these people to take the sculpting tools and just put in a you know, little pinstripe on a sleeve or, or you know, near the logo or something like that, just so they can look at it in bronze later and, and uh, be able to say that they, they, got their, they got their fingerprint on it somewhere. And that, that was neat that I, I'm glad I thought of doing that because certainly nobody else would have, and it meant a lot to them. So when some of these uh, other people came out in the rain that day, because boy, you're right, it was raining. <laughs> and uh, uh, they, it, it meant so much for them to come and, and see the piece and know that uh, you know, they, had, you know, they were involved a little bit. In fact, one of the, my favorite stories from it was one of those friends who came, he asked me, when is this supposed to be taking place? And I, I said, specifically, it's supposed to be 1959. The, I thought they would go for a 69 look. And he said, no, we'd like to keep it with his MVP. The 50, he won it back to back, as you know, and it was the first player ever to do that. In 58, though, the uniform was not pinstripe. It looked different. It was, I think it had a zipper and, and uh, white piping on the cap. And uh, the 59 one became the more traditional version that uh, it is today. Though the difference being that it didn't have the little bear on the sleeve at, at that point. But uh, so I told this guy that, and he said, you know, that's the first time uh, I ever went to a game was 1959. He said, my dad took me and my brother and they were playing the Milwaukee Braves and uh, they were playing against the great Warren Spahn. And the Cubs were down three and I don't know, the fourth inning or something. I, I, I can't remember third inning. There was uh, there were two men on and some nobody drew a walk with two outs. And Ernie came up with the bases loaded, hit a grand slam, put the Cubs up, uh, whatever it was, four to two, four to three. And, uh, and it was magical. He was saying he was a kid. It was the first time he ever went to a game and he saw Ernie Banks hit a grand slam. And as soon as he told me that story, I said, from now on, Anytime somebody asks me, when is this supposed to be? I'm going to say it's moments before Warren Spahn threw him the pitch that he hit out for a grand slam at Wrigley Field in 1959. So that's it. That's what that's what's going on there. Now, yeah. And I can tell you, I, I was there at the unveiling for the Ron Santo statue and he had passed uh, before the statue was finished. But I, I remember I was with my dad and, and you know, you talk about like the family ties to a lot of these things. You know, my dad took me to my first game and Santa was his favorite player. And I got to love Ron as, as an announcer, but I remember the unveiling and it's always very cool. If you've never been to one, you know what I mean? They got the blue 
uh, I don't know, tarp or, or wh- yeah. whatever over it. Yeah. And then they just take it off. And, and there's kind of like an audible gasp, right? Like, like yeah. when you get to see it for the first time and the cameras are all clicking. But I remember like my, my dad was there and it was, uh, you know, that, that him picking up the, the ball looks like a, a bunted ball or an infield grounder, but he's picking it up and getting ready to throw for throw to first. And my dad just absolutely fell in love with that statue because again, that's what in his head he remembered, you know, how many times he saw Ron Santo make that amazing scoop play to throw it, you know, a guy out at first. So, you know, it is just, I think everybody's got a different statue. That's their favorite. Now, like I said before, Ernie, Billy and Fergie were all alive when uh, their statues were done. Have they ever talked to you about the statue or any thoughts about it? Um, a, a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I didn't meet Ernie until uh, the day of that unveiling. The, uh, the, the Cubs kept me sequestered from him. Um, but Billy was directly involved and I went to his home uh, in Glenview and, uh, and spent some time with him and his wife. And he showed me his whole collection and just started telling stories uh, about uh, being in the minor leagues and things like that. So, I, I mean, you're asking me about after the fact. And uh, usually it's just that if I run into them, just how much they're humbled by it uh, and, and flattered that the Cubs would do something like this, that it's always meant a lot to them. Uh, things like that. Um, <laughs> Ernie, uh, I didn't actually spend any time talking to him until uh, that Ron Santo unveiling. There's photos of me standing with him right in front of the statue talking. And uh, his his friend, uh, this woman kind of, she represented him a little bit. Her name was Regina. And she was the one that would always remind him. She always remembered me. And she would remind who I was. And she's saying, Ernie, this, this, Lou, this is the, you know, the sculptor. And, you know, Ernie could be kind of kooky. And, and, my, uh, and my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, is standing there. And she, she's watching this unfold. And, uh, and, he, and, and I was going to shake his hands. And he grabbed both of my hands with his hands. And he was feeling them, like squeezing them. And he says, these are your hands. These are sculptor's hands, sculptor's hands. And I, like, I, yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> and he's, he said, you made this, you, you sculpted this statue with these hands. And it's, 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 oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and um, well, uh, Ernie, here's my, uh, my fiance, this is Denise, you know, and he, he's, and she, he turns to her without saying anything else. He says, how did you meet? And, <laughs> Yeah, and he just is a way of throwing you off guard, you know, off your off your game. And and Denise said, "Well, we met online, online." And was that all right with you? And he just said, "Yes, it was all right." I mean, so it was just this this. You know what John McDonough used a term to describe Ernie. He was telling me how he's probably the nicest person he is he's ever dealt with in in the entire Cub organization, but he's kooky. He's a <laughs> kooky guy. And he was trying to elaborate. He called, uh, he had this uh, uh, administrative assistant named Sarah and he called her in uh, and he said, he said, Sarah, how would you describe her? And he said, oh, he's, he's such a nice guy. He said, no, no, other than that. And she said, oh, well, sometimes he's a little, mm, I don't know if strange is the right word. And John said, kooky. And she said, that's the perfect word. <laughs> yeah, he so- did. He did. You know, he did always ask about you, which is off-putting because usually everyone has a million questions you know, for the, for the suit, you know, hall of famer, you know? Yeah. 
Oh, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, it was, it was exactly. Billy was just as warm and welcoming. I mean, it just felt you felt at home in his home, and and uh, he he started talking about being in the minor leagues with Ron Santo, who uh, um, with, with their manager was Rogers Hornsby. Well, Rogers Hornsby, that to me is like saying you knew Abraham Lincoln. I mean, that's just a million years ago. And he's talking about how you know, Hornsby had told, uh, was going down the list of every guy in the team. He had them all sitting there. And he said, he, he said to, to, to Billy, he said, you're going to be, he said, you're going to be in the majors one day. You're going to be an all-star. And, and he, then he said to Ron Sano, he, he said, you can be in the majors right now. You'd start in the major leagues. And he, he said, did he say that about anybody else in there? And he said, no, he said, all the rest of you guys, he said, you're going to be pumping gas. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Now, one thing to me that was different about all the, the ceremonies that I had been to um, is, is that this one for Fergie, this last time, you had a couple of different aspects of it where you had like uh, Marquee Network was kind of, it seems like they, they did an amazing video of you kind of showing you and having Fergie see that. I think the Fergie design was from a Sports Illustrated cover, correct? Yes. 72? Yeah. So my, is that the year you won the Cy Young? It was it was from that season. It was seventy one yeah. or seventy two. Yeah, right. And and so it was cool to see kind of like a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff. And they played it on that big jumbotron in Gallagher Way, and they had mm -hmm. all those seats from Gallagher Way and everybody from her Fergie's hometown of Chatham, Ontario, and the luminaries. Obviously, all the great Cubs coming in there, and there's still a lot of fans. I thought it was a really neat way to kind of let a lot of people in on. A, your process of doing things, and B, being part of the ceremony. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was that. Well, that was fresh compared to the previous ones. Uh, you know, I mean, the existence of Marquee Network had a lot to do with with that happening. And um, this terrible. I cannot remember the name of the man who who edited the thing. I, uh, um, but uh, boy, did he know what he was doing. Uh, yeah. That that video was about three minutes long. Every time they'd have a uh, moment of me saying something, they would cut to an image of something connected to it. And it, it just really packed a wallop. And they, when they asked me for a photograph of my father, uh, they said they would, you know, they're going to try and put it in there. I, I kind of, you know, you know, he's like, <laughs> they were like, Oh my God, you know, <laughs> you know, by, well, you heard the story, you know, dad had, uh, passed away just before I learned that they wanted me to do this sculpture. And uh, uh, so when they asked to include that, I, they sent me that video prior to uh, making it public, of course, in case there was something in there that was going to make me, you know, oh my God, you can't show it. Uh, but nothing like that happened, but I took it and showed it to my mom and I stood behind her while she was watching it on her computer. And, uh, and that moment came where I was talking about dad and, uh, and she remembered cause I called her, but you know, then they put up the image of the two of us at the world series. And that was the last time he went to a game was, uh, he was at game five, the only one the Cubs won at Wrigley field. And, uh, and she just put her hand to her mouth and, um, well, she was very moved. And later in the day, she wrote to me and said, I've watched that video four times and I've cried four times. Uh, she says, I have to stop watching it, but it's wonderful. And I, of course, told everybody who I spoke to in the organization just what that, that, that video meant.
but it did a great job of communicating the interaction with Fergie too. At that, uh, you know, when he came in there and picked up the glove and held the ball and things like that, you know, and the guy is in his mid seventies and he, he looks great. It was like, he was ready to suit up. And like yeah, I said that... in that video, that's something that I just don't get very often. I did, I do. And I did Paul Canerco. They wanted that to be a complete surprise for him uh, at uh, the White Sox. So I couldn't work with him uh, and he was still playing, but uh, you know, but having Fergie there to be involved was, was really special. Yeah. And, and like you said, just the video just captured all to me, like all the behind the scenes and all that goes into it is, I mean, it just was a really cool feature. And obviously when Fergie was being unveiled, he was put into what is now called statue row in Gallagher way. What were your thoughts the first time you saw all your works other than Harry all in one place like that? Ah, that was really something. I, I, I thought it was a neat idea when they told me, but when I saw it the, uh, for the first time the day I delivered the sculpture to Wrigley Field. So, you know, we bring the sculpture in from the uh, Waveland Avenue side of the building and, you know, they get it hidden away and everything and they take me inside and, um, and we're talking to, uh, you know, Kring Kenny and some others and they said, well, let's go out there and take a look. And so we go out and they've already got uh, the other ones in place and <laughs> standing there looking at them in a row. And I, Damn, this is, this is pretty, this is pretty flipping cool. <laughs> this is, <laughs> I, I just, I, I kind of, you know, one of the things that happens is when they're outside, it seems like no matter how big you make these things, when you put them in front of a building, somehow you, they disappear. They, they, Julian Omri did these. I worked with him on these statues for the Packers years ago of Vince Lombardi and, um, and Curly Lambeau. And those are 14-foot figures on six-foot bases, and they're, they're 20 feet high. But when you approach Lambeau Field, you can't even see them. They, they just disappear. So that's what I was kind of worried about. And, oh, no, they, they, they had this thing framed so beautifully. It was almost the focal point as you as you walk through Gallagher Way. I, I I'm so thrilled that they do that. I hope they've moved them so many times for so many reasons with all the construction they've done. I hope they never move them again. I they'll never top this. I got to tell you too. What's cool is at nighttime when you see the spotlights on them too. That's even uh, to me. That's even crazier when you get to you know it kind of gives you chills. But uh, the one thing I did notice, Lou, is that there are four statues but six bases. So my guess is that your work for the Cubs is not finished just yet, my friend. I think that you'll have a couple more, hopefully uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. But uh, <laughs> I got a feeling there'll be some more added. And yeah, I'm sure the Cubs keep will come asking calling. Me to guess. People keep asking me, oh, you know what they're going to do? You know what they're going to do? And they, they come to me and they want more. I'm, I'm ready. I don't care who it is. We can be Frank Chance or Gabby Hartnett or Andre Daugh. I don't know. Whoever they want. <laughs> I'm going to love doing it and I'll already know a lot about whoever it is. So it'll be Ooh, I really fun. appreciate you coming on here. And, and, and just like I said, just seeing all the work that you and the studio has done for, I mean, like I said, whether it's the Blackhawks, the Bulls, the White Sox, but, but your work for the Cubs obviously stands out to me just because of all the memories that are in those statues for Cub fans. I think, I mean, there, there's, you've done such an amazing job of, of capturing the essence of all these people that meant so much to us that it truly is an honor having you on here, Lou. 
Oh, that's my pleasure. You know, it's a lot of fun to talk about these things to anybody who's interested in hearing. So I'm, I'm very glad you had me on. And, and when, when you do your next one, we expect you, we expect a full report. All right, Lou. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, bud. You take care. <laughs> hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season one. It's episode 44. And then there were two. We told you how the Phillies were able to punch their ticket for the NLCS. They are going to be taking on the winner of the ALCS. And Crowley, let's talk about the Astros and the Yankees. Let's go game number one. Probably your AL Cy Young winner, Justin Verlander, against Jamison Tallion of the Yankees, who were a quick turnaround after escaping past the Guardians in five games. Yeah, that was, you remember all the Yankees fans chanting, we want Houston, we want Houston. Well, you got, sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> um, I would say that, to me, the NLCS was a much better, enjoyable series. ALCS, I, it did look to me like the Yankees were just outmatched. And, uh, you know, you, you saw a lot of really good pitching. In game one, uh, you had home runs from Gurriel, McCormick, and Pena. They all hit solo home runs. And Verlander notched 11 strikeouts. Harrison Bader and good old Anthony Rizzo homered for the Yankees. But the uh, Astros are going to take game one, four to two. But all three, there was five home runs in this game. All of them solo home runs. Solo Dustin. home runs, right? Solo shots. Yep. So I, you know, it was I. I, I loved seeing Rizzo uh, kind of just coming through as clutch as he did. In my opinion, um, it was a lot of fun. I, 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 I want nothing but the best for Rizzo, and I think that he looked, um, he looked really good this October, and yeah, and I, I think, you know, I think part of that's not having to be the man, right. Right, he definitely does not have to be the man in that uh, Yankee lineup. All right, so the Astros jump out to a quick one nothing lead. I think we all saw that one coming. I was actually surprised that the Yankees took the lead when they did right on that Bader home run early on in that game. That go- takes us to uh, game number two, Valdez versus uh, Severino. Yeah, Valdez pitched seven innings. He gave up no unearned runs. He gave up two runs, though, but those were errors on him. Uh, he struck out nine. Alex Bregman had a three-run home run in the bottom of the third to give the Strohs a 3 nothing lead. Talk to you about that Valdez. He committed a couple errors in the fourth that led to uh, two Yankees runs. The Astro, so the Astros leads cut 3-2. to two. 
A uh, little controversy, Dustin, a little controversy. The question over why the roof in Houston was open versus closed. Uh, it was Aaron Boone brought it up, which I thought was kind of weak. You know, I don't know. I thought that was kind of weak that, you know, he brought it up. But uh, Aaron Judge hit a fly ball that died in the wall in the eighth inning that probably would have been a home run if the roof was closed instead of open. But you know what, man? It's not like they're opening and closing the roofs depending on who's at bat. No, they, did you? Okay, so first of all, that that ball would have been out in Yankee Stadium. Okay, but a lot of balls would be out in Yankee Stadium in right field. It's known for its short right field porch, right? I did though hear about. Did you hear about the reasoning why the roof was open that particular day? Uh, was it just MLB? No, no. It's actually a ordinance, the city of Houston. So it's only been open one other time, other than that game, and if the weather conditions are just so. They make them open up the roof to save electricity for cooling the place down. So the night was so nice and the wind was going to be in such a way that it would be more economical to have the roof open than closed. And because it reaches a threshold, they are required because of the public money that was used to help pay for the stadium, they are required to open it up. And it's only the second time they've ever had it open for a baseball game. <laughs> Pretty wild. Because the weather now, see, the weather saved the Yankees probably rear end. The reason they got here was because they had a game that was rained out, okay, against the Guardians. And they were able to reset their pitchers a little bit. And then this game, they're going to bitch and moan that they didn't tie the game and then potentially win the game because the roof was open and it killed the Aaron Judge home run. But it was very interesting. I was watching that game, clicking around. I had the sound off, and I found it crazy, like seeing the umpire slacks waving in the wind, if you will. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, is there, like, a fan on the field that's blowing it? Like, And then I figured out what the heck was going on. So very, very interesting. I thought it was great information. So um, the Mother Nature uh, giveth and Mother Nature taketh away. Well, let me just say, in my opinion... I love if you can play baseball without a roof, then let's go ahead and do that. You know what I'm saying? I like I, I've been to Miller Park plenty of times where they have that stadium that opens and closes. I love an open stadium. I, I don't like the roof closed. Now, I understand why, because of weather, you might need to. But if the weather's fine, then then leave it open. You know, that's that's the way I look at it. Right. It's crazy, though, that there's just like it just hit the metric that it had to be open based on public funds that help build that stadium. <laughs> Maybe Aaron Judge should have ate another biscuit for lunch. Who knows, you know? Yeah, who knows? All right, game number three, the money man himself, Garrett Cole on the hill. Yeah, Garrett Cole versus uh, Christian Javier. And these games are back now in New York. So the Astros with a 2 nothing lead, the games are moving back to Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. Yeah, what do they say? If you make it there, you can make it anywhere. Uh, Garrett Cole versus Christian Javier. Uh, Chase McCormick hits a solo home run to put, uh, or hits a home run to put the Astros up two nothing. Trey Mancini hits a sack fly to make it three nothing, and then Christian Vasquez uh, added two more runs to make it five nothing Houston. And the Yankees' offense completely disappeared, and that was shocking to see. I mean, they've at this point, Crowley. I think they have they've struck out in the high 30s. I mean, mm -hmm. through three games, they're into they're into the 30s. 11 in the first game, nine in the second game, and close to double digits in game three. 
Now I talked a little bit about Anthony about that, right? You can't blame the starting pitching for that. No, and and what I said is that Anthony Rizzo doesn't have to be the man because of all the other guys that you have on this team. But if you take a look here, you had Harrison Bader hitting 333, so he did a great job. Um, obviously, he had time off and came out hot. Uh, he had that injury. But Aaron Judge, right, Mr. Mr. Uh, AL home run champion, 139 average. Yeah, he looks exhausted, Crawley. He looks exhausted. You, you joked around a few minutes ago about having another biscuit, right? The guy never looks fat, of course. But he just looked like he was worn out. He looked like he needed a sandwich, like three racks of ribs and a sandwich. Just looked like a guy that was absolutely out of gas. Yeah, the guy, the guys that you're looking at, Judge 139, and then you have Stanton at 188, Glebar Torres at 176, Josh Donaldson at 172, Cabrera at .071. I mean, they just didn't hit. Your your leader was Harrison Bader at 333. Your second best hitter was Anthony Rizzo at 276. But again, you have Rizzo now batting third. You know, I mean, it, it just the offense wasn't there, and now the Yankees were down three. You know, three games to nothing. Right, it's do or die time Sunday night, um, game number four. Yankees jump out in front. The fans are going nuts. And I actually like thought, well, good for these Yankee fans that showed up because I had read that like the secondary market was totally like, you could just walk in there. Yeah. It was like 20 bucks for a world series series. New New York had given up on this team. Yeah. You know, if you could pay $20 for a world series ticket, I mean, that is absolutely shocking to me. Um, yeah, you know, they gave up and, and the Yankees came out fighting Stanton and Glebar Torres had RBI singles in the first to put the Yankees up two nothing. Rizzo had an RBI double in the second to make it three nothing, but it all gets erased and goes to even when Jeremy Pena, I mean, think about it, Dustin, how nice is it that you could let Carlos Correa walk and then the guy taking his place ends up being the ALCS, uh, MVP, a rookie, a rookie, rookie, crazy. Uh, Yuli Gurriel singles to put Houston in front 4-3 in that four-run third inning, but Rizzo had an RBI single in the bottom of the fourth to tie the game back at four. Harrison Bader puts the Yankees up 5-4 to four with a solo home run in the bottom of the sixth, but in the seventh, Jordan Alvarez hit an RBI single to tie it at five, and then Alex Bregman singled to drive in the go-ahead run, and the Astros win 6-5, to four-game-to-nothing sweep of the Yankees. Um... Like I said, I, I enjoyed the NLCS much more than the ALCS. Absolutely. But, but, but the games were competitive in the in the ALCS as well. It just, you know, the Yankees didn't show any offensive life really until that last do-or-die game. Right, so the Yankees strike out 50 times in four games, getting swept. Now the Astros are 7-0 and in this postseason, have not lost a game yet. And the other thing, Crawley, and – I don't want to hear the national media and the networks and you got to get hotel rooms ready and blah, 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 blah. The fact that baseball is not going to play game number one of the fall classic now until Friday, you want to talk about losing all your momentum if you had any. And that's, I mean, if I were the Phillies, I'd be ticked. Like they could not be hotter than they are right now. Right. I don't think they want to stop playing. And it's going to take till Friday. And Friday is like a terrible sports night on television. 
Why in the world are you playing on a Friday night to start this thing off? You're afraid of Thursday night? Then play on Wednesday night. Wednesday night would have made all the sense in the world. I don't know why you have to have a, the World Series will start on this date, regardless of how the series go. It's just stupid. Yeah, and, and, and I think it, hit, it hurts the Phillies more than the Astros. I think, like you said, the Phillies were red hot. They just want to play ball, man. Just, they, wanted, they wanted to start 10 minutes after the Yankees game ended. And so I think that's just a huge mistake. And, and like you said, you have momentum. Like this was, these were two good series that showcase some of the best there are in baseball. And everybody's excited. Everybody's jacked up. And then you're going to make everyone wait a week. Right. And this was not a great football weekend on the college or pro side. Weren't great matchups. Weren't great results. No record breaking. No, no last minute this, that, or the other thing. Pretty pedestrian football. So the Sunday games, if you were following on social media and watching football, you were clicking over. And once you clicked over, you were stuck. The Sunday night football baseball game was way better than the Sunday night football game. Yeah. I mean, I'm a bad person to compare because all I do is watch baseball. Right. I, I get but, it. But, but I get what your you're typical, saying too. Your typical sports fan. I mean, listen, a guy like you, Crowley, if the World Series was on in three weeks from t- tomorrow, you'd watch it. Right. I mean, so would I. But I'm just saying, it's now it's like, oh, wait, but there's this matchup. Oh, wait, there's a high school playoff football game on Friday night. Oh, wait. The NBA has started. Like, get it going while people care. I just, I mean, they can explain it to me, but I'm just going to call it a bunch of BS that they can't get this thing started. And that's on always Wednesday been. And have to wait till that, Friday. Doesn't make any sense all, to me. That's always been the problem with NLB is an inability to market themselves in a in a good way. It's what it's what's killing baseball. Right. And uh, you know, it, it's I, I have no idea what they're thinking. And uh, like I said, you know, to me, it hurts the Phillies especially. I think that the Astros are a better team, but I think the Phillies were smoking hot. And now you're going to let them kind of cool off and sitting around. I don't, I don't get it at all. Um, there are the ex-cub factors, two on each. Uh, you have two as far as the Astros are concerned. Uh, Martin Maldonado did a little spell as a backup catcher. And then, of course, Dusty Baker, who has had three cracks at the World Series, once with the San Francisco Giants in 2002, with the Cubs in 2003, and then with the uh, – Astros in 2020 and obviously you know just always fell a little bit short you know he's had a long career and then on the other side you have Kyle Schwarber who we all love Nick Castellanos only played half a season for the Cub but became an instant fan favorite and then you have David Robertson who was traded this year so uh you know he played half a season for the Cubs as well but I think you the know, only ex-Cub factors that I think that are legit are Schwarber and Dusty I mean they had impact with with the franchise um I, i'm going i'm i'm cheering for kyle schwarber I, I, and you know dusty baker is a hall of fame manager hall of fame baseball person no matter what happens in this series i don't think he needs that trophy to be that um but I, i'm pulling for philly i think it's a great story i think it would be good for baseball for philadelphia to be back in it i think it would it would give unbelievable hope to all teams Right, a team that was you know needed to pl- needed to win games all the way up until the very last days of the season to even get into the postseason. Fired a manager. Teams now would be like, you know what? Maybe we should do what the Phillies did, <clears throat> White Sox, and fire our manager sooner. And who knows what would have happened? 
And not only that, maybe sometimes you don't have to be the best team. Sometimes you, in, in the randomness of the postseason, all you have to do is get hot and you give yourself a chance. Okay. And, and that's what Theo Epstein talked about years ago is that when you talk about those Braves teams, they didn't win as many World Series as you thought they would. You're talking about in the 90s with Madden and Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin. But if, as long as you get in, you have a chance. You're sitting on the outside, don't have a chance. And so for teams, you, you have to remember that in 2021, the Cubs and the Atlanta Braves roughly had the same record when the trading deadline came. And the Braves went for it and went on a tear and won a World Series. You're taking a look at the, uh, the Phillies. They were struggling to get into the postseason, struggling to get in the postseason. And then all of a sudden they go on a run. So, you know, yeah, sometimes when, when we looked at the Dodgers, you and I and, and pretty much everyone in baseball, they looked like an unbeatable force. Right. And, you know, and they don't, they don't, you know, they don't make it out of the, the uh, NLDS. Right. So well, that's you, what they like to say, Crowley, right? That's why that's why you play the games, right? That's why you play the games. That's why it's good that extra teams have gotten into the postseason, in my opinion. I'm not so sure I love the three-game series. I might actually like the one-and-dones a little bit better. I think there is something to be said about the rust while other teams are sitting around, but you got to figure it out. you got to get more creative. you got to figure out how to keep the guys active and going. All right, one other little piece of news before we wrap up episode 44, Crowley. Report today that uh, Anthony Rizzo could be opting out of his uh, $16, $17 million-ish owed by the Yankees. Um, do you think he opts out and then goes back to them? Um, are you up for a reunion with Anthony Rizzo and uh, our Chicago Cubs? Um, I always love Anthony Rizzo, and I think that if, if it makes sense, it's it's probably not a big deal. Um, he's going to opt out. So it was a two-year deal with the opt-out after the one year. So it's basically a $26 million deal that he got with the Yankees. So $13 million is probably what he's leaving on the table. Um, and and I, don't, I mean, you know, when you're Rizzo, you have to start thinking about who, you know, am I going to have a chance to win? I don't know if he's nostalgic as we are about returning to the Cubs, or, you know, does he, you know, he's having a good time in New York. It seems like him and Aaron uh, Judge are good buddies. Uh, you got to think that the Yankees are going to try to restock somehow, some way, and, and make another run at it. So if I'm Rizzo, you know, I don't know Rizzo's personal finances. I mean, obviously, he's made good money over the years. He's yeah, done I'm endorsements. Sure he's just fine. <laughs> he's just fine. But he never, never had that monster contract. You get right, what I'm saying? Right. He's so he's guaranteed he, hundreds of millions of dollars, but he's not going to get that now either. Right. But so that's why I'm wondering if he may, you know, where's the money at? That may be where he stops, but I, I see him trying to work something out with the Yankees. I don't know if it's still, the wounds are a little bit fresh with the Cubs. I have a feeling one day Rizzo will be back at Cubs con. We'll be back at Wrigley field. will be recognized as one of the all time great Cubs just may be a little bit early for that right now. All right, Crowley, I think we will save the predictions. I think we'll have episode 45 later this week, and we can really break this thing down, look at how both teams have reset their uh, starting pitching, if you will. Uh, are you good with that, or do you want to make predictions now? Yeah, let, let, let's kind of see what the rotations look like, and then we can we can make our predictions there. I'll, I'll, I, I, it's going to take me a couple days to think if I'm betting against the Phillies again. All right, that's a wrap, Crowley. Season 1, Episode 44, and then there were two. Our World Series is set, Astros hosting Phillies starting on Friday. And to make sure you're up with all the current news that's going on, we don't ever take the day off. You can follow us on social media at FlyTheW670 on Twitter and Instagram. 
Or if you like Facebook, you can go on Fly the W. And any you can email us with any questions or suggestions at flythew670 at gmail.com.